So I'd like you to think about some open doors in your life which you took advantage of. Uh, Maybe you followed through with a scholarship that was offered or an internship or maybe a work-study program or maybe you've had opportunities to travel overseas, maybe even be an exchange student or host an exchange student. Uh, You may have had the opportunity to meet someone who's influential in your field or be invited to participate in a new research project. Perhaps a door open for you to move into top level of administration in your company or a great opportunity to stay at home uh, with your children. Now think about the open doors you let go by, the ones you didn't walk through, doors which were wide open for you and you went the other way. A conversation about Jesus with your neighbor, an opportunity to walk away from hearing the latest gossip, an urge to unplug from too much social media exposure or A perfect moment to say, no more, this stops here, to an unhealthy habit. And instead of walking through this door, this open door, we we shrink and we resist and we hesitate and we may even run the opposite direction. Abraham Maslow identifies the tendency to run from our own destiny as the Jonah complex. Here's, Here's his wording. If you deliberately plan to be less than you're capable of being, then I warn you that you'll be unhappy for the rest of your life. You will be evading your own capacities, your own possibilities. One writer calls Jonah the patron saint of refused callings. God opens a door for Jonah, and he not only refuses to walk through it, he runs away from it as fast as he can in the opposite direction. I don't know if you can relate to this. You know, For those who see an open door for a new adventure, but your first instinct is to hesitate, to, to say no. Uh, You know, if that's where you are, you may feel a deep connection to Jonah. I believe in Jonah's story. We will be able to see how God treats us when we turn away from an open door. There are two books that have been pretty helpful to me as I study this short little drama of uh, an adventure of Jonah. One is John Ortberg's book, All the Places to Go. I've handed this book out to a lot of college students over the years because it's a real good book with uh, decision-making. And the other one is entitled Counterfeit Gods by Tim Keller. So the first verse of chapter 1 of Jonah says this, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. So God has a job for Jonah, one of his prophets in that day. You know, prophets could be viewed as troublemakers. They usually carried uh, bad or difficult news with them to share with others. Uh, Life as a prophet would be a tough road to travel. It's pretty lonely, it seems like. You don't have a yard full of friends. And you carry this, this unpopular vibe along with a really harsh and tough message most of the time. So the word of the Lord came to Jonah. And we see in these four chapters is that this word of the Lord changed Jonah forever. In Ortberg's book, he describes the interaction between God and Jonah in this playful little poem. Could you, would you go to preach? Could you, would you go to reach the people of Assyria, for you fit my criteria? And Jonah says to the Lord, I would not go there in a boat. I would not go there in a float. I would not go there in a gale. I would not go there in a whale. I do not like the people there. If they all died, I would not care. I will not go to that great town. I'd rather choke. I'd rather drown. I will not go by land or sea, so stop this talk and let me be. That's a pretty accurate description of the scene when the, Lord comes, uh, when the word of the Lord comes to Jonah. Jonah wanted 
absolutely nothing to do with Assyria, his worst enemy, in fact, all of Israel's worst enemy. Assyria was a despicable nation full of horrible people. They were unworthy, they were brutal, they were terroristic. Verse 3, so Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Assyria was a world power at this time in history. Uh, Nineveh was the capital of Assyria. The northern kingdom of Israel, after they, they split from the southern kingdom, was nearly wiped out by the Assyrians. They were known for their cruelty. Archaeologists recently discovered a, a library which contained some writings about Ninevite kings. And these are uh, hard to hear. This is like rated PG-13 kind of stuff. I'll read just a couple of them. A pyramid of heads I reared in front of the conquered king's city. That's what the Ninevite king wrote about what he had done. Their corpses I formed into pillars. Their youths and their maidens I burned up in flames. I pierced their king's chin with my dagger, and through his jaw I passed a rope, put a dog chain upon him, and kept him in a kennel in the city square. Nahum called Assyria the city of blood. And he prophesied the downfall of Nineveh, and he said, when that happens, everyone will cheer. Everybody hates Assyria. In the book of Jonah, we see God reaching out in mercy to Israel's greatest enemy, a highly counterintuitive mission. And God sent a patriotic Jewish prophet to do this, a highly unlikely messenger. What God is asking Jonah to do is unthinkable. So the word of the Lord came to Jonah. I'm not sure how that happened, and we're not told. In a dream, uh, a voice in the desert, uh, while on a stroll to check in on his kids, I don't know. What we do know is that this word from the Lord was unmistakably from the Lord. And we know the message was undeniably clear. Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh. And we know the task given to Jonah was undesirable. He did not want to do this. And if you think about it, this scenario is not uncommon when in one of those rare occurrences in the Bible, someone is handed a specific set of directions from God. Think with me about a few of these occasions where someone was handed a map from the Lord. Moses, he heard a voice from the burning bush, unmistakably from God, and the message was undeniably clear. Go tell Pharaoh, let my people go. And Moses had no desire to do this. Ananias got a clear message from God to meet Paul, the persecutor, on State Street. And Ananias had no desire to go do that. Peter had a crystal clear dream, in fact, three of them, telling him that eating meat was okay. And the message to him was that it was okay to invite the Gentiles into the kingdom of God. Not just, it's not just for Jews. And Peter had no desire to do this. And there are others, Noah and Esther and Abraham, Paul. They all received an unmistakable and undeniable message from the Lord, and they all hesitated. They initially did not want to do what God was asking them to do, to go where he was asking them to go. So Jonah's in pretty good company. Maybe he was afraid. I don't know. If so, his fears were certainly justified. Sometimes, sometimes doors open for us that are not fun. They may, they may not even be safe. We tend to believe God only opens doors for us which bring great satisfaction, reward, more acclaim, a comfortable life, a larger salary. We would, be, we would be naive to believe that. Orberg says, writes this, Nineveh is the place God calls you where you don't want to go. Maybe Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh because he was afraid of failure. 
God was asking Jonah to walk into enemy territory, tell them to get on their knees and repent before God. In Jonah's mind, the outcome of this mission could be his death. Maybe, maybe Jonah didn't want to go because he was afraid of success. To warn Assyria of God's judgment, to give them an opportunity to change, Jonah wanted nothing to do with that. He held Israel's national interest above obedience to God and the spiritual good of the Ninevites. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. I'd like you to think about the word calling from God in the sense of uh, more of an opportunity in the moment. We typically, we typically use this word calling in the context of vocation. You know, called to be a nurse, called to be a teacher, called to be a stay-at-home mom or dad, called to be a missionary. But today I want you to focus more on a door that's open to you right now. Uh, this week, your next project. You might be called to have a hard conversation with someone. You may have an opportunity to tell someone what you're seeing in them, a diminished sense of integrity, or maybe a dad who's becoming more uninvolved with his kids over time. You may feel a call to serve in some specific area where your hands are going to get really dirty. You may need to speak out with the risk of consequences. A trip to Tarshish sounds inviting about now because this open door is very uninviting. And running away is rarely the best response. The most common command in the Bible is what? Do not, help me out, do not what? Do not fear. It's in there like 300 times or so. Our our three-year-old granddaughter saw something crawling around on the ground recently, and she reached down and she picked up a worm which her older brother wanted nothing to do with. And she boldly proclaimed, me brave. (laughs) Do you think God reminds us not to fear because we were born to be brave? Three times in Jonah's story, we read that Jonah ran from the Lord. And I had this memory when I was thinking through this. I had this memory from high school. One of the many times I allowed fear to dictate my behavior. I knew a fellow student had a name, but we all called him Jelly Bean uh, because he was kind of shaped like one. He was a little slow, a little socially awkward. He had few friends, and I could have chosen to be his friend. Um, I could have gone out of my way to be kind to him, but I didn't. You see, I wasn't willing to risk the social capital in my account. I was afraid to risk losing my place in the social hierarchy. I didn't go to Nineveh. I went instead to Tarshish, just like Jonah did. Verse 4, Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. I mean, this must have been a crazy storm to send seasoned sailors to their knees. Each of them was calling out to whatever God might be listening and be able to help. Uh, Verse 6, the captain went down and said, how can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take note of us and we will not perish. Isn't it ironic that the ship's captain is the one asking the prophet to pray? Then the sailors said to each other, come let us cast lots to find out who's responsible for this calamity. And they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, tell us who's responsible for making all this trouble for us. What do you do? Where do you come from? Where's your country? What, from what people are you? And he answered, I'm a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, 
who made the sea and the land. And this terrified them. And they asked, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he has already told them so. Isn't it also ironic that God opens a door for these sailors to learn something about Jonah's God while Jonah is running away from him? I doubt if Jonah realized what God was up to in that moment. Verse 11, the sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, what should we do to make the sea calm, calm down for us? And he said, pick me up and throw me into the sea, and it will become calm. I know that it's my fault that this great storm has come upon you. These sailors had more respect for Jonah than Jonah had for the city of Nineveh. Um, sometimes in the Bible, it's hard to identify who the good guys are and who the bad guys are. They cried to the Lord, O Lord, please don't let us die for taking this man's life. Don't hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, for you, O Lord, have done as you please. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. I don't know what it would have been like to see a raging sea immediately become calm. The noise of the waves crashing suddenly ceased, and all was quiet and still and serene as Jonah sank to the bottom. And look what happens next in verse 16. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord, and they made vows to him. Their their unforgettable moment in the sea with God of the universe who made the heaven and the seas happened because Jonah was on the run from that same God. And when I hear from that, just kind of as an aside, is we should never underestimate God's creativity and his foresight. He is at work in ways we are unable to imagine. And I don't want to ever forget that. And you, you've heard what happens next. You've heard about this great fish since you were uh, first read to from the children's Bible, you know, at home sitting on your mom or dad's lap. And I, I love the wording in the, in the NIV, the Lord provided. <laughs> the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah. So far, we've heard of a great city, a great wind and a great storm, great fear from the sailors, and now we meet up with a great fish, and this fish was called by God. It had a door opened by God, and like a general commissions an officer, officer, the Lord commissioned the fish. God said, yo, great fish, and the fish said, yes, God, however fish says that, and God said, I've got a job for you. I want you to go pick up Jonah, but remember, swallow, don't chew. So from inside the fish, chapter 2, Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, in my distress, I called to the Lord. So far, we haven't heard of Jonah doing any praying. He was mostly running, but now, where else does he have to go? And how do these next four words sound to you after that? Uh, And he answered me, in my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. That had to be a great relief for Jonah to know that God is near, to know he knows where Jonah is. That seems to be God's consistent promise offered to our fears. I am near. Knowing God is near does something to diminish our fear. Getting an answer from God is never a bad thing, even if it's not the answer you're looking for. Any answer means he's listening, and he's near, and he knows. Sometimes what we read in our Bibles truly makes no sense. I mean, some of this, it's just unbelievable. Walls that fall down, axe heads floating, donkeys talking, 
catching a fish with money in its mouth, blind men seeing, dead men walking. And then there's this, verse 10, the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. That sounds like something an imaginative fourth grader would make up. (laughs) Not long after we moved here, uh, there was a guy who, who stood where I'm standing to say a closing prayer on a Sunday night. And after expressing his thankfulness for the gifts God's given us, he thanked God for the sermon that night, and I'll never forgotten what he said. Almost word for word, he said, may we take what we learned tonight and regurgitate it onto our friends. <laughs> that was a new one on me, you know. I might not have many friends left if God answers that prayer. But I don't know if if anyone was enjoying a day on the beach when this fish pops up on the shore and spits Jonah out of his mouth, Uh, but that would be some kind of story to tell. So the next party you're at and someone's talking about some outlandish experience, you could casually drop in. You think that was crazy. I was at the beach last week and this fish popped out of nowhere and yanked this guy right up on the shore, right in the sand. Top that, you know. So Jonah gets cleaned up. And then God is ready to give Jonah another chance. Chapter 3, verse 1. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim it, uh, proclaim to it the message I give you. And Jonah has no hesitation. This time around, he immediately begins his trudge toward Nineveh. Verse 3, Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and he went to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a very important city. A visit required three days. On the first day, Jonah started into the city, and he proclaimed, 40 more days, and Nineveh will be overturned. In my imagination, uh, Jonah doesn't seem to be very enthusiastic about his message. I imagine Jonah to be fairly monotone, kind of like the tone Eeyore has as he's walking around the 100-acre woods. Uh, 40 more days, and Nineveh will be destroyed. Run for your lives. That's kind of of where I go with that. Um, And like so many other surprises in the story, here's another one. Verse 5, chapter 3, the Ninevites believed God. They declared a fast. And all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. The evil, vile, wicked people actually listened to Jonah. And they chose to believe God. And they believed he meant business. Even the king of Nineveh joined in. And God sees Nineveh's response, and he does something else surprising. Verse 10, when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he had compassion and did not bring upon them the the destruction he had threatened. So you'd think Jonah would be excited. Jonah knows his presentation wouldn't win any awards. He wasn't engaged. He wasn't hopeful. He wasn't really looking for results. Yet the entire city, 120,000 souls, turned their hearts toward God. Surely Jonah realized this was a great work of God, and he was privileged to be a part of it. But that wasn't the case. You'd expect this narrative to end on on a happy note. You know, from the bottom of the sea, in the belly of a great fish, Jonah returned from certain death and fulfilled his mission. The Ninevites repented. They received God's grace, and they changed their violent ways. God showed that his grace extended to everyone. And then chapter 3, verse 11 reads, Jonah returned to his home excited with a great story to tell. Unfortunately, that's not, that's not what we read. Chapter 4, verse 1. But Jonah was greatly displeased and became angry. God's grace is not so great in Jonah's eyes. 
God's forgiveness of the Ninevites was the worst thing Jonah could imagine happening. So we have a great city, a great wind, a great storm, a great fear, a great fish, and now we have great displeasure. Verse 2, chapter 4, he prayed to the Lord, O Lord, is this not what I said when I was still at home? That is why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, O Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. Jonah had zero empathy for anyone from Assyria. He didn't bargain for them like Abraham did at Sodom and Gomorrah. He wanted to see judgment, harsh, quick, complete judgment. And now we know that Jonah ran to Tarshish, not because he was afraid, but because he doesn't care. He hated the people of Nineveh. He'd prefer every one of them die. Take a closer look at Jonah's second prayer. He's, he's pulling from Israel's history because this is nearly a direct quote from Exodus 34, a section we studied a couple of years ago. Jonah is quoting God's word back to God. In Exodus 34, God describes himself to Moses. This was the first time God had done something like that. And now Jonah is repeating God's description of himself, except that he leaves one word out. God described himself as abounding in love and faithfulness. Jonah leaves out the word faithfulness. Perhaps Jonah believes God isn't being faithful. He's not reliable. Maybe he thinks by letting Nineveh off the hook, he's not being faithful to Israel. Maybe Jonah thinks God isn't being faithful to his own standards of holiness. It's a challenge to go through an open door if you think the God who opened the door for you is not faithful to you. So God asks him why he is so angry in verse 4, and Jonah uh, just walks away. I mean, he gives God the silent treatment. Just walks off, no answer. But think of all the actions God has taken to this point in this drama. God provided a great storm. Then he provided a calm sea. He provided a great fish, which provided transportation and salvation for Jonah. After God provided an opportunity for Nineveh to repent, then he provided a vine to grow beside this pouting prophet. God provided a worm to eat the vine, after which God provided a scorching east wind. You see, God's been very busy, patiently working with this prophet who made the choice to run from the open door that was right in front of him. Here's the last couple of verses. But the Lord said, you've been concerned about this vine, though you didn't plant it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left and many cattle as well. Should I not be concerned about that great city? This is a strange way for this story to end, isn't it? I mean, what does Jonah do from here? Keller has some good insight I want to share with you. Here's what he writes. The ending is brilliant and satisfying. It's satisfying because we don't need to wonder whether Jonah repented and saw the light. He must have. How do we know? Well, how else would we know the story unless Jonah told it to someone? And who would ever tell a story in which he is seen as an evil fool on every page except a man in whom God's grace has reached the center of his heart? Not all doors God opens promise fun and excitement. Walking through some doors will be draining and costly and a burden every step of the way. Some doors will raise doubts and questions and confusion. 
Some may seem like a doorway to nowhere. What we learn from Jonah, the patron saint of refused callings, is that when you or I turn our nose up toward a God-authored opportunity in front of us, what we learn is that God doesn't abandon us. He will provide what we need to see that he is faithful. Faithful to his nature, faithful to his promises, faithful to you, faithful to me. We may get angry at him, but he does not get angry with us. His level of patience is unimaginable. Jonah's experience puts God's patience on full display. Another lesson we learn from this story is one that is certainly relevant right now. God shouts in our ears through Jonah's experience this clarion message. We have no right to write someone off because of where they're from, what race they are, what God they worship, what political party they claim, whether they are pro or anti-vaccine, mask or no mask. If Jonah had possessed any compassion for these Assyrians, he could have avoided a stormy sea, a whale's belly, a scorching wind, a deep level of despondency, and a desire for his life to end. God doesn't categorize people like we're enticed and encouraged to. We learn in Jonah's story that people are important to God. Buddhists, Muslims, agnostics, atheists, Christians, they're all important to God. Liberals and conservatives, Green Party, independents, Democrats, Republicans, they're all important to God. Married, divorced, remarried, gay, lesbian, they're all important to God. People of every skin color, every ethnicity, every person is important to God. Of course, of course God is concerned about the people of Nineveh, even though they have ransacked and enslaved and murdered the people of Israel. These Assyrians have a soul which will spend an eternity in one of two destinations. Who wants to worship a God who doesn't care about and love everyone? From Jonah's story, God has a question for us. Shouldn't your love be like mine? So now you know. You know how God will treat you in those times when you walk or even run away from a door that he's opened for you. He doesn't write you off. He doesn't abandon you. He stays near He shows patience. He gives you another chance. He remains faithful and he provides. God invites you to trust him.